Verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called, and whom He called, these He also justified. To whom He justified, these He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, well, then who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, well, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Well, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Well, who is He who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Well, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's Psalm 44, 22, by the way. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, or things, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Will you pray with me, please? God, I know that tonight you want to speak to every one of us. You want to minister. You want to draw us close. You want to get us in that place, Lord, where we would celebrate You and love You and want You more. You want to get us in that place, God, where we would just be so drawn to You and love You. And God, I just pray Your Scripture would burst open and come alive tonight. God, I pray that every person right where they're at would be spoken to personally and intimately today. I pray, God, as You and only You can do this, God, that you would get me out of your way. Immerse me in your Holy Spirit. God, fill me to overflowing even as we sang. God, overflow that you would minister now in a way that all we could do is go, wow. Let us have so much fun in your word, Lord. Let us as a family unite and ignite, God, for you. So, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit now, profoundly minister, I pray. Develop this text and make it crystal clear to us and let us all go, yeah, that's it. Let it resonate with our hearts, Lord. And if there be any who have yet to say yes to you, let tonight be the night of their salvation. And for those who have, Lord, make us all more in love with you, more available to you, more profoundly touched. As we commit this time now in Jesus, in your name, amen. Now, this is kind of getting us into the chapter. In chapter 8, it started with, there's therefore no condemnation. Why is there no condemnation? Because we started the whole thing, last chapter, with that there was a body of death. If you remember, there was the sin of the spirit, or the sin of, the, of, of ourselves, of our flesh, and the law of the spirit. And there was this challenge that our minds have one desire, our flesh has one desire, and the spirit of God is another desire. And we really want to be in that place to serve 
through the power of the Spirit, but the flesh also battles in that. And he says at the end of chapter 7, O wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death. And if you remember what it was like to have Bjorn on you as the idea of a body of death, as he was a great dead body, by the way. And then in that, from there, we got the idea from all of that, because we are the ones, we have no condemnation, because we walk now according to the Spirit. And he starts to develop what that looks like. Our minds, what our minds are set on, what we're subject to, and we're no longer body rules, but rather we're Spirit-led. And then he showed us how sin affected all creation, and infected all creation. And I want to warn you, what you do will be infectious, if you really are infected by it. And can I just say, if you are in love with Jesus, it's a pretty good possibility you infected. And the good news is, I mean, we, we think of infections as such a bad thing, but could you imagine if you had something that was infectious, but it actually made people healthy? Wouldn't that be weird? I mean, imagine what it would be like. There are people that are walking around, and you're on, you know, you're on the underground, and some guy's like, and he's hacking up one of his lungs. His liver's already on his tongue. And, and you're just kind of, and everyone's fleeing from him, and you just kind of go over and go, and all of a sudden they're made well. Could you imagine? I mean, we naturally know in a fallen world like this, the world knows that things default to the ill, default to the sick, default to the, to the misuse and to the degrading. We know that. But spiritually, we are on the other side of that. The more infected we are with Jesus Christ, the more we find ourselves to be agents of health, just like others would be agents of illness. Can you imagine? Here we are going, yes, Jesus, I love you, Jesus. And everyone's like, whoa, what in the world? Now, for some people, they don't react well to the antibody, but it's still there to heal them. And it showed us in this that sin affected all creation, and all of creation eagerly waits for that redemption now. And he showed us that we aren't, we're, just, we're not just servants, we're children. We're joint heirs with Christ, awaiting that day of adoption that we would call gotcha day. Deliverance from the bondage of that corruption, and he called it bondage, by the way. And he said that even because of that, we in the fallen world, we don't even know what we should be praying for sometimes. So praise God, the Holy Spirit interjects, even in a way that we can't even hear him. But praise God, he always does so in accordance with God's pleasure. So with that in mind, we start moving now into this particular area. Now, we know, as it says in verse 28, notice it, it says, we know that all things work together. Now, before we move any farther, notice here that it is assumed this isn't new information. It doesn't say, by the way, you might want to learn this, but it says, we already know this. This should be a no-brainer that all things work to the good. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read this, it didn't occur to me. Did any of you actually read this and go, duh, of course all things work to my good. But if you really, which just shows us how little we've really grabbed of what it means to be saved. Because if we really grab what it means to be saved, sooner or later you get to that place where you say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Paul says, if I'm going to live, it's going to be for Jesus. Everyone should be able to benefit from that, including me. If I die, I get to be with Jesus. We all can agree that's better. And he says, so I'm kind of hard-pressed. I mean, if I just can't have the choice in it, I'll go home. But I kind of get the idea I'm going to stick around a little bit longer. And that means something to you. Now listen, when we first get saved, chances are what we say is, to live is us. And to die is going to be good sooner or later. Teach me more about heaven. Is it coastal? Can I surf? I mean, these are questions we ask ourselves. You know, okay, wait, wait a minute. Whoa, is it warm? Can I get a tan? 
Am I chubby in heaven? My glorified body? Right? Do I have a full head of hair? Some of you guys. Ladies, do I not have hair in places I don't want hair? Is there no such thing as fat? Because is that sin? I mean, we get, and it's like, God's like, this is what you want to know. Heaven is my home. Do you really have to ask any more questions? Could you imagine? Let's just say Amina's on a trip somewhere. And Amina and, actually, Lamina and Lenny are on a trip. Coincidentally. Lamina and Lenny are on a trip. And they're on a trip to Mbogo, a little island off of somewhere in Africa. Lamboga. And, and so Lamina and, and Lenny are on this particular island and they meet the perfect man. He just, he just is wonderful. He loves her. He loves the Lord. He's memorized all of the scripture and he's actually not even proud about it. And he loves to serve and he just wants to bless Lamina. But Lamina is not fully convinced of it. And so what's going to convince her ultimately will be his willingness to sacrifice. Let's be honest. Sacrifice is where you start to see what real love looks like. Now, now, with that in mind, imagine it, that it is that you know, Lamina owes a tremendous amount of money, student loans, and, of course, this terrible habit she has of buying expensive shoes. So with that, he kind of looks and he says, just give me your bills. Now, it isn't like he has a lot of money, but just the same, he takes a look and he says, I'll do whatever is necessary, and he pays all of the bills. She is no longer chased by those creditors. You know where the phone rings and you're like, oh, I'm not home, I'm not home. Well, I'm just, theoretically, I've never, anyways. So, and so with that in mind, all of a sudden, and somewhere down the line, he drops the knee, he opens, it's a big, beautiful rock, you know, and, a, a, a diamond. And, and, and with that, he's like, will you marry me? And she's like, mm, before we go any farther, what's your house like? Could you imagine how insulted he would be? I want to know what kind of couches you have. How big's your big screen? Is it projector? Is it plasma? I want to know. How many channels on the cable? He's like, does it matter? She's like, yeah, it does. I really want... And at that point, he's starting to get the idea she ain't as into him as he is into her, right? Because if it really is about all of the stuff in his house, it really ain't about him anymore. But if he's like, I just want to spend the rest of my life with you, and she says, you know what, I just want to spend the rest of my life with you too. That's what really matters. But isn't it weird how much we want to know about heaven when we know the most important thing is his house? Well, what's it like? Am I going to be a naked baby with wings playing a harp? He's like, does it matter? And that was invented in the Renaissance. Anyways, now, now, follow me in this for a second. He goes, and we know this. It's like, we know this. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You know, I've never, have you really just sat down and said, no, wait a minute. If I really am saved, if I really am bought by the blood of the Lamb, if I really am forgiven of all of my sins, if I really have laid all of me before God, and because of that He has washed clean all of the sins and the failures of my life, all of the filth of my life, and I stand before Him clean in the name of Jesus Christ, my Savior and Lord, and here I am before Him, and all of that's like, well then, wait a minute. What implications does that have? How do I look at you? How do I look at me? How do I look at the world? How do I look at success? How do I look at my priorities? Everything needs to change. And the moment we get suckered back into the world, we insult Jesus every time we do it. People going, you know, I can't die alone. 
Jesus is like, I died to be with you. I hung on a cross naked, bleeding to death, so I could be with you. And you think you're going to die naked. I'm dying naked. Whoa, I'm sorry. You think you're going to die alone. <laughs> the naked part's your choice. Now, get the idea on this. How we wouldn't sold God. That will make me complete. He will make me complete. Jesus is like, I make you complete. But if I had the right job, I'll be right. I'll be okay. The right house, I'll be okay. God's like, you were okay the moment you said yes to me because I gave you everything to make you okay and make you more than okay, to give you life abundantly. Now in this, he goes on, we know this, that all things now are going to work to your good. They didn't before. I'll tell you what worked to your good before. Everything that brought you to Jesus, that's what worked to your good. And I want to warn you, the things that brought you to Jesus before you were saved, chances are were not fun things. Because if it made you more comfortable, you wouldn't go to Jesus for that. If it made you more at ease, you wouldn't have gone to Jesus for that. If it made you more miserable, you'd start looking for something outside of where you were. If it made you uncomfortable, you'd start looking outside of where you were. If it made you feel more empty, it made you look beyond where you were. Here's the crazy part. Now that you're saved, that doesn't change much. The stuff that will still make you feel weak, the stuff that will still make you feel empty, the stuff that will still make you feel uncomfortable, will bring you to Jesus if you listen to the Holy Spirit. That's the whole point of it. And you go, I don't like that stuff. God says, I do. (laughs) I like it because I like the results. So there you are, you're a parent. And as a parent, you have a child that's seven that says, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm just fine. I don't need you. Tomorrow I'm moving out. And then that night, there's a horrible storm. Thunder and lightning. The house starts shaking. And that child comes running into your room. and says, Mommy, Daddy. And you say, Thank you, Lord, for that storm. That storm was such a wonderful thing. Now, you can understand that. Well, then understand when the Father gives you the storm, and then you go run into Him and go, Daddy? And He's like, yeah. Because that's what He wants. Nothing is more important to God than your relationship with Him. Listen, nothing is more important to God than your relationship with Him. And it's going to work to your good if you love Him. If you don't love God, it's not going to work to you. And then go to, well, the called. Who are the called according to his purpose. And the question then is, well, what's his purpose? God has called you. And by the way, the term that's used here is the simple term. It means to appoint it's called kalehos, kalehos. And in that then, he's got a specific purpose. And by the way, I do love this. If you speak to somebody who would actually play that card that comes from a Jewish descent and say, well, where are the chosen? I'd like to say, for what? And there, within the body of Christ, there's those who say, well, I'm chosen. And I'd like to say, for what? You get so wrapped up in the fact someone picked you, you don't even realize why. Now, if I picked you to go and help clean out my bathroom, my toilet with me, you might say, look, check it out. I got picked by Pastor Tony. Pastor Tony picked me. And I'm like, wonderful. Here's a brush. Here's some gloves. And you're like, I don't think I like this. And you run around telling everyone, I'm picked. I'm chosen. I'm picked. I'm chosen. And people go, I'm glad you picked and not me. And the whole purpose of that is, is that somewhere down the line, if someone says, I choose you, you're wise to say, "Uh, for what? Because before I actually say, okay, it would be wise to know for what. And he actually, of course, never leaves us hanging on something like that. Listen, we know that all things work to the good of those who love God 
and are called or the called according to his purpose. And this is the because. This is the because of it. And then he'll show us what that is. Because of who, and the word for, okay, means because, whom he foreknew, he predestined that he might be the first, uh, predestined, predestined, by the way, to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, the word foreknew becomes the key part of all of this to start with. For what it's worth, this term foreknew is going to be used five times in Scripture. Once here, once in Romans 11, when it says, God has not cast away those he foreknew. Once in Acts 26, 5, when Paul has given his testimony about those who were accusing him, and he says, listen, they knew me from the first. And if they're willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of the religion, I lived as a Pharisee. He speaks about those religious people he was raised with, and he says, hey, they've known me already. They already know me. That's what it means to foreknow. He already knows me. First Peter 1, 20 tells us he was foreordained before the foundation of the world, or known, assumed and established, before the foundation of the world. In 2 Peter 3.17, the last of them, it says, Therefore, beloved, since you know this ahead of time, be careful. And what he spoke about there, by the way, was that the entire world is still waiting for a day when God's going to bathe the whole thing in fire. And he goes, because you know that, be careful or beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. Listen to that. Because you already know there's going to be a day when everything you can touch around you is going to be gone. Let it govern you from easing up. Let it govern you from thinking, oh, I deserve a break today. I don't really need to study. I don't need to read. I don't really need to fellowship. I don't need to do any of that. I'm already saved. What more is it? And God goes, look, don't back off now. In all of those cases, it's a very simple thing. To foreknow means he already knows you or you already know it. That's the way this begins. That this whole thing that he has starts with the fact that he already knows you. Interesting, when you get to Matthew 7, when we read about that, that there are those who say, Lord, Lord, didn't we? And he'll say, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Now that tells me that there are some who God knows. And you say, well, God knows everything, doesn't he? Well, yeah, he knows everything in regards to intellectually, but there are certain things you can't know without experience. I can know everything about Shirley in regards to her stats, her age, her weight, you know, her favorite foods and so forth and all of that. And, and I could give you all of that. I could tell you she has 147 freckles. I'm just rolling off numbers or whatever. You know, and I won't even tell you whether I don't know that for hand, but the idea of that is I'm just, you know, theoretically. But in that, it's like, even though I know all of those stats, I don't, I know about her. That doesn't mean I know her. To know her is a little bit different. How can you say, well, you know, you know, it's like, it was in regards to, da- to, regards to David, or regards to, to Andrew, or in regards to Nathaniel. In regards to Nathaniel, I can tell you, Nathaniel's this tall, he weighs this much, he's this old, he lives in Hackney. I can tell you, he likes to ride a bike until it gets stolen. You know, I can give you that information. But, let me tell you something. He has a look. That's a very subtle look. When he And he's good at this. He sees you slowing down when you're eating. Slowing down means you just might not finish everything on your plate. And it's like that his eyes get a little bit brighter and he kind of perks up and he's like, eyes get a little bit bigger. And then he gets that baby face smile. 
He's just like, I just want you to recognize I'm in the room. Now, as much as I can tell you something like that, the reason I can give you that is because I have experience with Nathaniel. And because I have experience with Nathaniel, I know him better than his stats. That laugh <laughs> that he gives, it's priceless. Things that he might be afraid of that he might tell you. Juan, those of you who know Juan, can tell you that he, where he's from, Canary Islands. They can tell you his age. They can probably tell you his weight or a rough estimate of his age. They can tell you how long he's been married, three children. But I can also tell you that the guy can levitate. When we were in Portugal on that men's advance, so unbelievably cold, and we had to share beds. I'm not telling you I'm proud of that. And those sheets were cold. And I can tell you I was already in bed, and I was standing there just praying to not die from hypothermia. It was beautiful. And that man tried to slip in. Both of his feet got in there, and I don't know how it happened. He was like, he left the ground to stand up and, and, and said something in Spanish. That's probably good. I don't know. And I know that about him. I also know that he hates ginger. I know that because I give him ginger. <laughs> um, I, and here's, here's the part of it. It's like there's the difference between knowing about someone and knowing them. God can know everything implicitly, but have no memories with you. And to be honest, what draws me to Nathaniel are the memories we have. To be honest, what draws me, those moments eating intestines um, and things that I'm not even sure really came from the animal, that um, there were, I think there were soup. It's like, ladies are like, praise the Lord we don't go to those things. Um, that really bonded us. But it was like those special moments, those moments where you kind of go, here, try this, and it's like, this is really bad, and every guy drinks a little bit of it, and it's like, it's like then, this, is, this can't be that bad, and you drink it again for a second, and it's like, it's like something with yogurt and salt and cayenne pepper and mint and these things, and, it, it's, like, and, you, and it's like, wow, this is horrible. And then, and then later on, you look back and you go, oh, I remember when we had that together. And here's the point of it, that there's some that the Lord could say, I know everything about you, but we have no memories together. We have no experiences together. Jesus is walking through a crowd of people and a woman reaches out from behind and grabs the hem of his garment. She'd been bleeding for 12 years and now she's not. And Jesus stops. He's in a crowd of people. It's like a packed lift during, you know, on your way down to the underground. And he's like, who touched me? And they're like, oh, what? everybody touched you. He's like, no, 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 no. Everyone bumped into me, but somebody touched me. And today you could be in this room. And you can be there and bump into Jesus. But that's not going to have an experience with him. And I'm not talking about what you need is the shakes or to levitate or to bark or to yell, whatever. What I'm telling you is, is your heart open to actually have a relationship with this guy? Because that's what this whole thing's about. And understand, from a perspective of a God who sees everything at one time, if he sees everything at one time, he already knows you know him. And he already knows, because he's going to know all that information from the start. There's no moment where he's not going to go, well, I wonder how this is going to work out. Because this is a God who understands everything. Now listen, please hear me on this. If you're reluctant to be part of anything, I don't blame you. There's a lot of really shyster things out there. If you are reluctant to be following somebody you don't think you can see or hear, I think, to be honest, that's reasonable. 
I mean, I'm trying to tell someone that I'm actually sane, but I'm in love with a guy, but I'm not that way, that lived 2,000 years ago, 4,000 miles away, that died because I was on his mind, and he rose again, got sucked into the sky, and then someday, like a great cosmic vacuum, he's going to come back and suck me back there with him. And, and that, that, that's okay. And he talks to me, and then I hear him. That, if it weren't reality, that would sound pretty mental. But if you ask, if you really loved me, what would you do? How about die for you? Could it get any more serious and sacrificial than that? Please understand, this starts with the fact he knew you. Now here's the thing. He knows where you're at tonight more than you do. But do you know him? Not do you know his stats. I read his book. It's a good book. Autobiography. But do you know him? Do you walk with him? Because tonight, if you're still just busy gathering stats, can I just say, as a person who's played on teams, there's always a kid that you go, oh, bless his heart, he's collecting stats, but he's really, most of the players don't think he's part of the team. He doesn't play. He can just tell you that person does this that many times, and he's done it this many times, he's attempted it this many times, he's played this many games, but he's never seen a, a moment out on the field. What about you? Because tonight, Jesus didn't die for you just so you could become part of a club. If, by the way, though, if there was a club to join, I would still join this one because this is my favorite club. But what makes this club so cool is that we know him. Now look at As a sinner, as a person who has issues like you because of my faults and my failures, God knew that, and in being perfect and holy, he's the only one who could be, listen, both completely just and completely merciful. To be merciful, either, how do you become merciful and not punish the sin? Then you're not just. But God, and only our God, the God of the Bible, has actually shown how to do both. He just punished his son for it. So all of the sin was punished, and yet he could show you mercy. Have you accepted that gift? Because if you haven't accepted that gift, I'm going to give you that shot tonight. It starts with this. All things work to the good of those who love God and are the called according to His purpose because He started by foreknowing you. And because He foreknew you, He predestined. Oh, and this is a hot term, but it really isn't that hot. The term is provizo. It literally just means to have a plan ahead of time. Now, I'd like you to think about who you're dealing with. This is God. Could you imagine God ever trying to make it up as he goes along? Now, God's not the kind of person who's like, mm, what do we do with this? Oh, yay. Um, Gosh, let me think. Okay, hold on a second. Let's just stop time. Give me a couple seconds. Oh, that's still time. And then I'll kind of come back into it and figure out how to answer it. According to Scripture, before man was ever made, before the world was ever framed, he knew man would fall, and he already had the answer. That's what Peter's tell us, First and Second Peter. That means he had a plan ahead of time. Now, if you were experienced in any area, chances are you have a game plan. A parent that knows their children, doesn't just know about them, but knows their children, always has a plan ahead of time. If you have a child that's gifted at breaking things, 
You know how to keep the breakables away from them. That's a plan ahead of time. Like it or not, you predestined that situation. In other words, you preplanned it. That's good. If you have a child that is given over to excessive sentiment, we have one of those. You know what that means? She loves to read the story and cry over it. You know, you want, to, you want to get our oldest to cry, just show her those pictures of the soldiers that come back and surprise their children. You can show it over and over and over, and she'll just cry and cry and cry and cry. If you need to get somewhere, you turn off the Internet at the house so that you can get there. That's preplanned. You know that. If you have the child that likes to run, you put your hands on them in front of a busy street. That's a preplan because you don't want them running out there and discovering how hard a car can be. Or a bus. You did not ordain them to get hit by the bus. You actually sought for them not to. And if he knew you ahead of time, does it surprise you that he should have a plan for you? Does your head know that? Does your heart know that? Because as much as people want to argue over a doctrinal position on this, it's so aside from what's being said here. Here's what it is. I know everything's going to work to my good because I love God and I'm part of the call. I know that. Let me explain. Because God already knows He knows me. I already know that He knows me. And because I know that He knows me and because He knows that I know Him and He knows me, hopefully that didn't confuse you, He had a plan for me. Could you imagine, two years ago, Marcia says yes to Jesus. And Jesus then goes, oh, Dad, now what am I going to do? Could you imagine? Could you imagine it's like, oh, she really meant it. Oh, okay. Well, all right. And he's like flipping through. Okay, let's see. What do we do with somebody that's newly saved, that's in her position? Let's do, let's try 614 section 5. This is a God who knows everything. What is His plan for you? Let me ask you, do you know that you know that He knows you as a person, intimately, as a friend, as His child, as we read here? If so, raise your hands. Okay, now look it. I'm going to do it again, but this time I'm like, raise your hands like you mean it. Is that you? Woo! Okay, now listen, this is his plan for you. If that's you, and if you don't know that you can walk out of here tonight going, woo, and you're thinking otherwise you might walk out and go, ah. All right, listen, he predestined you to what? Listen, to be conformed into the image of his son. Okay, now listen, you raised your hands. I saw that as a little more mild than I did, but you raised them. I know what God's plan is for you. I know what God's will is. It's that you would become like Jesus. Right? You raise your hands. I know what God's plan is for you. Is that you would become more like Jesus. You raised your hands. And you even went, woo, I saw that. Now look at, I know what God's plan is for you. That you would become more like Jesus. You raised your hands. You raised your hands. You raised your hands. I saw that. And I know what God's plan is for you. I can't tell you the specifics. Not that you're going to grow a beard. Not that you're going to wear a long robe. Not that you're going to walk around with a staff in your hand that was Moses anyways. No, here's the point. I know what God's will is for you. Now, I can't tell you how it's going to be borne out, but I know this. This is God's plan for you. He wants to make you like Jesus. That's what God wants to do. That's what He wants to do. Now, becoming like Jesus does not mean you're going to become a theologian. And that's the danger. 
I got saved. You know what I'm going to be now? Really, really smart and irritating. That's what I'm going to be. Because I know everything now. We know knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Now look it. It's almost like, okay, scary. Listen, it gets to this point where you're almost like at a crossroads. It's a fork in the road and you're like, knowledge. That's the route I can go. I could be really smart. I could get a PhD in like divinity or something. And, and I could be like, I remember like, whoa, you're like divine. And you know it. And, but I'm going to be puffed up like one of those fish, you know, that look like a cactus underwater. Or I'm going to grow in love and that's going to build up Allie. And I'm growing in love and that's going to build up Lucas. Now look at I'm not telling you this is the road to ignorance. What I'm telling you is you get to a point where you're like, which of these is more important? Do I want to become more like a smart guy? Or do I want to become more like Jesus? And you're like, well, isn't Jesus a smart guy? He's so smart, that wasn't the point. In chapters 3 and 4, two of the disciples are brought before the religious leaders. Hear me. They're brought before the religious leaders. And they... They, are they, and they want to, oh, by whose power? Because they're trying to play this little game of chess. Whose power do you do this under? Because they say, if Jesus, well, then it's getting, granting power to someone other than God, in their opinion, and that should get them killed. And they're like, well, look, at, if you really want to know, it's by the name of Jesus Christ, who you murdered, who God raised from the dead. Talk about a guy with a backbone, yeah? And it says, when they observed them, and they came to the conclusion that they were, listen, untrained and unschooled, and that they had just been with Jesus. That's what it says. By the way, the term in the Greek, idiotes. Anyone want to guess what word we get from that? But look at they kind of they looked at him and they went, "What a bunch of idiots!" But we cannot deny they've just been with Jesus. Would that be enough? I mean, here in this room, you know to nod at a moment like that when a question's asked. But would it be enough? How about those of you who are known for being smart? Because you know it's a little rough to give that up. And you know how the enemy plays that, right? He takes the thing that makes that you feel good about yourself in the world and then plays it against you. Have you seen that? If you're socially popular, they'll say, oh, that Christianity, that's for losers. If you're naturally strong, it's like, oh, that's for weak people. Do you get it how he plays that? And they're like, oh, I'm really going to be a full-on Jesus freak. They're going to think I'm weak. Oh, no, they aren't. They have no idea the power they're about to encounter. And what they're looking for at a moment like that is a guy that actually has a backbone, a girl that actually has a backbone. So when someone says, do you really believe that fairy tale story in Scripture? Believe it or not, most of the time they're actually looking for you to say, yes, yes, I do. I don't think it's a fairy tale, but I do believe it. Because to be honest, most of the time they can't find a person that will do that. Could you imagine? I know that there, I can tell you story after story of people who have said, I gave my life to Christ. And one of the reasons was because I tried to find a guy that had no backbone. And I found this guy. And he said, look, at him, I just believe it. And they're like, well, are you some kind of idiot? It's like, you can call me what you want. But I'll tell you what. Look at you and look at me. Are you happy? Oh, so like dumb is happy? No, actually, I have a relationship with my creator. That should make sense too. Now look at if you know him, and he knows you, he's got a plan for you, and this is what it is. He wants to make you like Jesus. And please understand, this is the passion of my heart. It really is. Here's why. Because if a year from now you know more Scripture, and you will, because we're going to walk through more Scripture, God willing, and you're just smarter, 
and you're more isolating, less loving of each other, and less hungry to see the lost come to know him, you're not growing to become like Jesus, and neither am I to help you. To grow to become more like Jesus, you have to be willing to be stepped on. Like that. Doesn't that sound great? To not fire back when someone fires at you. Ooh. You know, when you realize, the more you start studying Jesus' life, the less you want to be like it. Unless the Holy Spirit get a hold of you. But the reason is, Jesus knew. He says, look at, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Jesus had nothing to prove except that he loved you. Could you imagine if that was our own thing? Now listen. And obviously, we're not going to get through the whole chapter. But that's okay, because there's so much to feast on in these first handful of verses. <laughs> Verse 30. Ooh, lots of verses. Um, before he knew you, he had a plan for you. And if he had a plan for you, he had planned to make you like him. That term, by the way, predestined as well, is only used five times in verses 28 and 29. Verse, chapter, Ephesians 1, 5, where he says he predestined us to adoption. In other words, he had, he had a plan ahead of time that you would become his children. I like that. And Ephesians 1, 11, that he predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Now, don't miss that, because according to that, there was something we did that was an action, and that was we trusted him. And in trusted him, God had a plan. And that trust, by the way, was our responsibility. And 1 Corinthians 2, 7 is the other time, where it tells us that God had a hidden wisdom which he had ordained before the ages for our glory. Now, if that were the case, then Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. See that in verse 29? The firstborn, by the way, for what's Prototokos, is not an age situation. To be honest, what it is is a position. I know people that could tell you that they've tried to put animals in the role of a firstborn. The firstborn has, by the way, the authority over the other children, has the responsibility of carrying on the family honor, the family trade, and the father's burial. Gets an extra measure of the, um, of the inheritance as a result of that. Now, I know this. Because, for instance, in Esau's situation, he was the one who was older than Jacob and, des- and had a right to the right of the firstborn, but Jacob got it instead by deception, although it was still promised him. But if you remember in chapter 48 of Genesis, Joseph brings his boys, and, the, and his, Joseph's dad blesses Joseph's sons, which are, which are this man's grandchildren. And as he does, he blesses the younger and makes him the firstborn. He gives him the right of the firstborn. He's not chronologically the oldest, but he gives them the authority just the same. That's what, now, the reason I say that is, when we read that Jesus is the firstborn, for instance, over all creation, think of it as, he is, we would think of it as, he's the big brother that calls the shots. That's the idea. He's never created. When people say, oh, this means he's created, no, it's not. All this means is he has a position of authority and responsibility under the Father, over us. He's the firstborn from among the dead, Colossians 1, 18, and by the way, we are the church of the firstborn. Just so you know, that's Hebrews twelve twenty-three. by the way. And we're registered in heaven for that. Now, here's the idea. If you've known him, if he knows you know him, he's got a plan for you. And the plan is to make you like him. Jesus is the big brother. Now, with that in mind, we get to verse 30. Follow this with me. We're, this is our last verse. Wow. We read the word moreover. How many of you even know what that means? Moreover, 
When was the last time you used the word moreover? I don't really know anybody that uses the word moreover. Now, I'm not saying the word is obsolete. Because, but we kind of go and go, what does that mean? The words, and by the way, just to make it better, the Greek on it, well, I'm just going to make it better. The, the, the way the koine would say it's like, duh. There you go. Now, listen. It means it's just a conjunction that takes an idea and carries on with it. It's like, and, but, also, or so, is the idea. Follow me in this. He knew you because he already knew you. He had a plan for you to make you like him. So, how does he make you like him? I'll tell you how he makes you like him. Because he already had a plan to make you like him, he called you and he justified you and he glorified you. That's what he did to make you like him. That's what he's doing to make you like him. Does that make sense? If he knew you and he knows you, well, then he has a plan for you. And the plan is, what's God's plan for your life? You tell me. What is it? To make you conform to the image of Jesus. Or we can just put it this way, to make me like Jesus. Rodrigue, what is God's plan for your life? Bjorn, what is God's will for you? Yes. Woo! Jay, what's God's plan for your life? Sorry? Is to make you more like Him. Every one of us. His plan is to make you more like Him. So next week, Lucas should look more like Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about more beard, any of that stuff. Although he might have that. But for every one of us, doesn't it get you excited? Think about it. Because if that's God's plan for you, that's what He's doing. And He who began a good work, what do you think the good work is He began? Getting you the new Bentley? Do you think that's God's plan? The work He began the moment you said yes to Him is to make you more into His image. That's the idea. And the moment he began it, God doesn't quit because he knows it all ahead of time. Which means, when he puts you on the block to start you, it isn't like he didn't count the cost. He already paid for you completely before that. So get the idea. This is what it looks like. And I take it in an illustration here from Michelangelo. Come here for a second, Mary. I'm going to pick on Mary for a second. I know, I keep waiting for the R to pop in there right there. So it says Greek. Okay, imagine. Imagine Mary for the moment here is an angel, like, like one of Michelangelo's angels, okay? Think about how big that is. But you have to be still because you're made of rock. Okay, now, think about how big the piece of rock is that he has to carve from, okay? And so here is Michelangelo, and he's carving. And what is he doing? He's pounding away. He's pounding away at the rock, right? And they start to ask Michelangelo. True story. They start to ask Michelangelo, how do you do this? How do you make something so amazing out of this chunk of rock? And he says, to be honest, I already believe there's an angel in there. My job is to free it. That's his attitude. So he goes, there's an angel in there. So he starts carving, and he starts to carve, and he starts to carve, and he starts to carve. And you know what would happen? The rock would say, ow! Oh, come on! I like that part of me. That was a really lovely piece of rock that just fell. And God's like, you think so? Because she can't see what he's making her. Does that make sense? And he starts to carve away parts, and some of it, it hurts. But the moment she said yes, God took her and put her on his tool bench. 
And he starts to carve. And he starts to carve. And all of a sudden, Mary starts to see something. And she looks and she goes, wow, this isn't so bad. This is good. And God's like, I'm not done yet. He just starts to carve. And so all of a sudden, then he starts to take out the... And he starts to sand it down. And she starts to go, I didn't realize I was going to be shiny too. This is awesome. And he starts to polish and he starts to polish. And that can't feel good either, can it? But in all of that, sooner or later, Mary's going to be as amazed as anyone of what God made out of her. Does that make sense? Thank you. Now, please hear me. Maybe you're in that moment right now. Maybe God's in a moment where he's going, part of growing up is learning to love the chisel. Look at he already has a plan for you. You know what the plan is? He looks at the chunk of rock and he goes, there's something in this I'm going to pull out. But to do that, I've got some stuff to carve off. And the problem is, some of the stuff you carve off is stuff you like. But if you saw the blueprints he has in his mind, wouldn't that be something that would be worth it? Well, you do. Because his plan is to make you like Jesus. That's the plan. Do you get it? So whom he already knew, he, because of that he already had a plan, and so he called. Rosique. Allie, yo, come here. Andrew. And you go, well, wait a minute, but did God not call others? Ha, 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 ha. There's my dog. Oh, look at Jesus has already made clear in Matthew, many are called, but few are chosen. Just because you're called does not mean you're chosen. You go, well, how does that work? Let me say it this way. God has every one of your numbers, but you also happen to have, if you're, you also happen to have caller ID. And he knocks on your heart and you look and it says, this is God. And you're like, oh, let's pretend like I'm not home. You know what the sad part is? I'm not just talking about unbelievers. Let's be honest. That happens here too. When the, but here's the problem. Every plan God has for you is good. And you're like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to get ground today. I don't know if I really want another piece chipped off of me today. Come on, God. I know that if I answer the door, you're going to, oh, I know it's going to be. It's like, I'm going to make you more beautiful. Why are you fighting me? You're like, because I'm happy with who I am. And God's like, because you have no idea what you're going to become. So he calls you. But then when he called you, he justified you because you can't look like Jesus guilty. And justified means he's cleared your debt. Jesus looks and he says, you know what, I'll have to pay that price. I'll pay that price. That's part of the plan before the luck was ever made. God's like, I'm buying her. He looked at Marcy and said, I want her. And I'll pay for every sin. It's that simple. Because you can't look like Jesus guilty. But if you know him, you're not guilty. That's what we'll get at next week. Finally, then he says, in whom he justified, he glorified. So there's Mary, and he's chiseling, and he's chiseling, and he's chiseling, and Mary's like, ow, 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 give me the Windex stuff. I need something to make me feel it. And, and, all, and God starts to polish and all of that, and sooner or later... God starts, and this is what he does. Even in the process, you start to see enough Jesus that he takes Mary and he puts her in front of David. And David goes, that's beautiful. 
And, and David goes, wow. And she says, you just need to surrender to the artist. He'll do it with you too. And he's like, okay. And then David comes over and God says, he's like, ow, ow, you didn't say it was painful. She's like, well, what part of chiseling sounds good? And, and, all of a sudden, and all of a sudden that starts happening and he starts getting chiseled off and all of a sudden he, God glorifies. What does it mean? He presents. He's presenting it to Marcy. And Marcy goes, oh. And you know what happens? Is that sometimes as this starts to happen, Marcia looks and realizes, wow, David, I've seen such a change in you. That encourages me to submit myself more to the chisel because I can see how he makes beautiful things and I can see how he's doing it in you. And if he does it in you, well, then he must be doing it in me too, right? And here's the thing. Your ministry is not just to the lost, beloved. Your ministry first is to your family. And because it's first to your family, what happens is as Andrew starts to change, and I've seen Andrew change. I don't know about you, but I've seen Andrew change. I've seen Shirley change. And I mean, as you think, it's like Shirley was cool before, but she's more than cool now. I mean, just the way she glows and the way that God's polishing her and she's shining, right? I mean, if you've stuck around long enough, you've seen it. Beloved, we've only been here three years and look at what we've watched. Have you seen a difference in Delek? Have you seen a difference in Marcia? It's crazy what we get to watch here. Wait till Sunday and wait till you see what happens with Amina. It's unbelievable what God's doing. And the cool part about it is he's not done. I mean, you look at it, you go, this is awesome. And God goes, this is just the beginning. And please understand, in the end of it all, glorifies too. He actually doesn't have a problem propping you up and showing you off to others. Look at you don't show yourself off to others. Your job is to delight in the artist. As you delight in the artist, he props you up and he says, Mary, wait till Chris sees this. Penny, wait till he sees this. Wait till Alexia sees this change. And for kids, that might take a while, but I tell you what, 20 years from now, if the Lord tarries, that's going to be part of their testimony. They look and say, oh, Jay, wait till people, oh, wow, what in the world? Nathaniel, Andrew, some of your old homies hang out. They've dropped dead just watching the way you are right now. Please hear me. And he's not done. He took just a couple really big swings and people already went, ooh, that's nice. Could you imagine what happens as it continues? Why is all things gonna why are all things gonna work to your good, Marcia? I'll tell you why, because everything that happens chips a little bit more off. Because he's already has a plan for you. Why is everything gonna work to your good, Charlene? Because when he's done, he's gonna show you off for eternity. Could you imagine having a dad that's that proud of you that all he wants to do is show off, show you off? Everyone? Check out my kid. Not because he's got some kind of glory trip so that he's going to make him look good. To be honest, because he's just so proud of his kid. Like, look at this. Could you imagine having a groom that all he wants to do is take you out? Not because you're looking so fine that everyone's going to turn their head on. Because he's just like, he's just so stoked that you're his. He just wants the whole world to know it. It didn't work right. Because we go to prayer, listen to this, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, so, if he predestined you, well, then he called you. And if he called you, come here to the table and invites you in. Well, then he justifies you. There is nobody on God's workbench that isn't pure. How crazy is that? If he justified you, glorified you. That's his plan. Could you imagine what it's going to be like a year from now? Beloved, as we go to prayer now, my heart for you and for me is that we would fall in love with the artist. One thing we learn, he makes beautiful things. The same one who marked out the solar system the way it is, who created the Aurora Borealis and the Grand Canyon, the same one who knew how to invent a sunset and the beauty of a smile of a friend, the mystery of the warmth of an arm around you, the strange elation of a child's giggle when they're your own. Unbelievable. The same one who's been working on you. He spoke the universe into, into existence with a handful of words. And he's been working on you ever since. In Ephesians and Philippians, God tells us about this work he's doing. And he says this. We are his poema. You might read the word workmanship, but can I dare say the word is simply masterpiece. Tonight, I'd like to challenge you. Look up tonight. See the stars. See the sunrise or the sunset. Well, sunset might be well, who knows? Listen to the bird song. Check out the beauty of a God who does all of that kind of off the side of the hip. And be reminded, you're still his masterpiece. And can I be honest? I agree. I agree. There's nothing more beautiful. I could stare at a giant chasm forever they call the Grand Canyon or I can stare at a sunset and I used to love those. We have a whole sunset season back where we came from. It's like God takes out fuchsia and broad stroke colors neon throughout the sky. There's nothing more beautiful than you guys worshiping God. Nothing. You really are a masterpiece. And the crazy part is he's not even done yet. If he stopped right now it would be enough for me to stand up and applaud until I die. He's still not done. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you. Thank you for these beautiful verses. Thank you, God, that we were not a surprise to you. Thank you, God, that you had a plan for us from the beginning a plan to make us like your son. 
thank you, God, that we are still the apple of your eye, the masterpiece. We're still that for which you adore. Because we are your beloved. We're your beloved. And I'm so thankful. So don't stop. I know you won't. You began the good work. Be faithful to complete it as you promise, and I know you will. But God, teach me to love the chisel. I know some of those will be rough situations because rough situations are frictus. They grind us off. But remind us, Lord, as they grind us, you're the one holding the sandpaper. Now, we can make dumb decisions and pay for them, but still, Lord, still, you're still the same God who knows how to use even the roughest of situations to make us more beautiful. So, Lord, I pray tonight that you would minister to every one of us and cause us to fall in love with the artist. We know you make beautiful things, but could you remind us again tonight? So as we're in awe of all of your other creation, Lord, we'd be all the more excited about what you're going to do in our lives. And right now, if there be anyone in this room who has not said yes to Jesus, you're not sure if you've said yes to Jesus, I'd like to pray a prayer. And at the end, I ask you to say amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be my words. Let that prayer be mine. Here it is. God in heaven, I come to you a sinner, guilty in my own trespasses. But you love me, and you want me, and you sent your Son, Jesus the Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. And as he died, he paid my penalty. And then... He rose again, offering me new life, offering to make me His. So you call me, and I say yes. I respond with yes. Have me. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me yours. I surrender to your gift, your payment on my behalf. And I say yes to Jesus as my Savior and as my Lord. I'm yours now. In Jesus' name. If you agree, you say, Amen.